Well, hello. Welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I am here to talk to you about Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Also, at the end of the show, I will be talking to you about the releases that came out from WWE this week. Some of them were shocking, some of them weren't too shocking to me, but I'll get to that when the episode ends. And also, just for to let everyone know, when I talk about AEW Rampage, there'll be a moment in the show where my mic would start to fizzle out because I tried to take the sound effects of the raining because it was raining in my surroundings out, so it kind of messed with my mic a little bit, but please do not let that deteriorate from the listening experience, so please bear with me as that happened and once you get past it everything else will go back to its soothing and sounding way that it's supposed to but I just couldn't uh, figure out how to get my mic to work back at that specific well precise moment but again and it's towards the end of the show anyway so when it happens so don't hold it too much you gotta hold basically like 95% of the show without mic messes up that much so again Please don't hold it against me. Now, with that being said, let's start the show. So let's start with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Cody Rhodes coming out to the ring in his wrestling attire. Cody was going to talk about Jay Uso, but Dominic Mysterio will come out and talk about how Jay will be joining the Judgment Day and how with Jay joining the Judgment Day, the Judgment Day will become the most dominant faction in the WWE. This will lead to Damian Priest and Finn Balor to come out, and we'll get our first match of the night. Cody Rhodes going against Dominic Mysterio with Priest and Finn in Dom's corner. Cody would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Cody Cutter, then the crossroads for the win. Now, after the match, Damian Priest and Finn Balor will get on the apron, and it will look like the Judgment Day are going to attack Cody Rhodes, but Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn would make the save and run to the ring. Now, this will have the Judgment Day retreating and going through the crowd. And you will see Cody dap up Sammy, talk to Sammy, while Kevin Owens, he just stands there in the corner and looks at Cody. And Cody wouldn't pay it no mind. Cody would just uh, leave the ring, take a photo with a fan, start walking up the ramp. But then you would hear Kevin Owens call Cody back to the ring because he wants to speak with him. And the gist of it was Kevin Owens would ask Cody why he brought Jey Uso to Monday Night Raw after everything Jay and the Bloodline has done to not only him, but also to a lot of the talent in the backstage. So we will get an answer from Cody. And also with that answer, we'll get Sami Zayn kind of tagging along with Cody with his answer. Kev, I've had a lot of roles. I've had a lot of tasks. I've had a lot of duties, but my job is to make these people happy. Right? And... And I'm going to answer your question. I am. But you guys like Jey Uso, don't you? You are looking at somebody who has received a large amount of second chances. He is one of the very best in the world. He deserves a second chance. And I think, I think we should give him the time to show us that he's changed, not to mention the bloodline, who we are all very familiar with, are now down a member. What's bad 
about that. And Cody, if, if I could jump in here, and Kev, I don't mean to pile on. I've got your back since day one, you know that. But I've also known you since day one. And this is always how you've been. You're, you're, you just take a bit more time to warm up to people. You take more time to trust people. Maybe I'm the opposite. Maybe I trust people too quick sometimes. But look, men, I know Jey Uso, okay? I've been through a lot with Jey Uso. And the situation that that guy had to dig himself out of you don't have to give him a, ch a second chance, but I think you should, okay? Because guess what, man? You've given me second chances. I've given you second chances. And because of that, we won the Undisputed Tag Team Championships in the main event of WrestleMania. And that doesn't happen without a second chance. Now with Kevin Owens hearing both from Cody and Sammy, Kevin Owens will tell both of them, listen, I'm not going to forget about how the bloodline cost you, Sammy, the opportunity to win the championship at the Elimination Chamber. I'm not going to forget how they cost you, Cody, the championship at WrestleMania. And I'm not going to forget how Jay cost me five times being the champion. But what I will do is I'm not going to trust him. And I still don't. But I trust you two. And for your sakes, I hope Jay pulls through. So we have that, and we'll have to wait in the main event tonight because throughout the duration of Monday Night Raw, you will see Jay walk up on uh, Kevin Owens and Sammy. KO will once again tell Sammy, listen, we don't have nothing to do tonight. I'm going to leave. I'll be in the car. You're coming with. Sammy will say, yeah, but he has to speak with Jay. And Sammy would again tell Jay, listen, you're not liked around here, but I feel within due time, you'll win people over, like you'll win Kevin over, but... Tonight, you have a major decision to make because earlier tonight, Damian Priest would walk up on Jay and tell him that he needs an answer by Jay uh, by the end of the night to know if Jay is going to be joining the Judgment Day or not. And Sammy would reiterate to him that you have an important uh, decision to make. So I hope you make the right one. So we will get Jay's answer in the main event. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty busy night for Jay and the Judgment Day, and also we get the announcement that next week, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn will be getting their championship rematch against the Judgment Day. So we have that match to look forward to next week on Monday Night Raw. Now, the next matchup, we will get Kofi Kingston going against Ivar with Valhalla in Ivar's corner, and Kofi would win this match by pinfall after hitting a Sunset Flip powerbomb, then the Trouble in Paradise uh, kick for the win. This was a straight banger matchup that had no business for it to be, to be completely honest. Uh, Kofi Kingston and Ivar, this should have been just a throwaway match and nobody's going to remember from just nothing, but these two really put on one hell of a match that I promise you, you will actually enjoy. And this was more of a star-studded performance from Ivar and Kofi, but I more say Ivar because Ivar is usually in the tag team with him and Eric as uh, the Viking Raiders are formerly known as War Machine Better. I like that name way better, but they can't use it because WWE doesn't own a license for War Machine. Marvel does. Uh, they will call something else in NXT, but I digress. The Viking Raiders, they are one hell of a tag team. They proved that, I want to say it was, what, last year when they went against Malik and uh, Idris down there in NXT, and when they had their NXT run before they went up to the main roster and they got whole whacked out. The Viking Raiders are a great tag team, but it just never ever comes across anymore. They get those shining star moment matches like they did against the New Day and the uh, Vikings, like the street fight that they had. And the same thing when they went against 
the Alpha Academy in the same style of Viking Street Fight type of matchup. They always get those shining beacon matches, but whenever it comes down to just matches that are tag team, they never really get it that well. But in this match, a single one-on-one competition with Ivar going against Kofi, you got to see Ivar really put the beats to Kofi, and Kofi really had to fight from underneath like an underdog. And it really showcased Ivar as a star, at least in this matchup, and it shows Kofi what he has been able to do for the past, what, I'll say 15 years, if not 15, uh, 14 years on the WWE main roster? God, Kofi's been in WWE for so long. Again, it just proves how great Kofi is. Again, I'm going over this, but the match was great. I suggest you watch it. You'll be thoroughly entertained. Now, next matchup, Shinsuke Nakamura going against Ricochet before this match does happen, before Ricochet even comes out. As Nakamura is in the ring, Seth Rollins would try to get at Nakamura before the match would even begin. You would have backstage personnel and security making sure Seth does not get anywhere close to Nakamura, and Nakamura would try to bait Seth in, but knowing that Seth couldn't get to him, Nakamura would just enjoy uh, taunting Seth. But Seth will get brought to the back. Uh, Ricochet will come out. We have our match. Nakamura would win this match by disqualification thanks to Ricochet hitting Nakamura in the back with a steel chair because Nakamura was going to use the chair first. Ricochet decided to use it. That's how we got to disqualification here. Ricochet would argue with the ref after the bell, and this will allow Nakamura to chop block Ricochet behind his knee. Nakamura would then hit Ricochet with a Kinshasa behind the head. Then Nak would bring Ricochet close to the ring post and slam Ricochet's knee around the ring post. Then he would hit Ricochet's knee with a chair. And I'll excuse Nakamura not really connecting with the chair on Ricochet's knee. He was just like hitting the ring post. One, I'll say that's camera production's fault. They should have switched to different camera shots. That's one. And two, Nakamura in NXT, he didn't really use uh, steel chairs. Nakamura in New Japan, he never used steel chairs. And even in his main roster run that he's been doing, the closest thing that I think that he's even gotten close to using a weapon was probably like a kendo stick or like not weapon-wise, like uh, low-blowing someone. Nakamura hasn't been using uh, foreign objects as the Northern American, North American, or people over here on the West side of the uh, Earth have been using steel chairs in professional wrestling. Japan, they really don't do that. They're just strong style. They'd be hitting each other with their fists and kicks and all that type of stuff. So I'll excuse Nakamura not really executing with the hitting ricochet in the knee with the chair, or at least giving it the illusion of doing it. Um, Seth would come down to make the save. He'll run through the crowd. Seth would beat up on Nakamura, get him in the ring. Seth would try to hit Nak with a pedigree. Nakamura would counter it, flipping Seth back first onto a steel chair. Seth would uh, hurt his back at this moment, because remember, Nakamura still has this business with Seth having a bad back, so he'll go after it. Nock would finish Seth off by uh, hitting him with a backdrop on the commentary table. That's when backstage personnel and security would come down and Nakamura would leave freely. And that's the end of Nakamura here for this night. Uh, Seth, he would get helped to the back and he'll get to the medicals uh, facility. Well, not the medical facility, the medical room. And later in the night, Seth would make a challenge to Nakamura for a match of Nakamura's choosing it. Anytime Nakamura wants it, and we will get Nakamura's response to that next week on Monday Night Raw. Next up, we'll have a tag team matchup here. Chelsea Green and Piper Niven going against Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark. This match would end in a no contest thanks to Nia Jax attacking everyone. 
Nia would throw Piper into the ring post, then into the steel steps. Nia would get in the ring and hit Zoe with a Samoan drop, then a senton. Uh, Chelsea, she would get, like, the easiest of everyone. She will just basically get hip toss into the corner, turnbuckle. Uh, Shayna Baszler, she will get hit with a body splash into the turnbuckle, and Shayna would then hit Shayna with a bonsai drop, and then slap uh, Shayna across the face, the same way that she did uh, Ray Ripley last week. I found that hilarious. Again, it's the little, it's the little things that a bad person does that they really don't have to do, that they just do it anyway for the crap of it. I just find hilarious. And when Nia did that, I just laughed about it. Um, but Nia, she's going after anyone. Anyone can get it. She's back here. And uh, that's what it is. And I'm not mad at it. I hope it leads to Nia doing something. Again, I want her to go after Rhea because Rhea has nobody else that's dominant as her to uh, kind of go against. Nia's like the only one besides Raquel, and we just got done with the Raquel business. So it seems that it's Nia's time to uh, go after Rhea or just anyone that she playing well feels like. Next matchup. Chad Gable with Maxine Dupree and Otis in his corner going against Bronson Reed. Bronson would win this match by pinfall, hitting the tsunami on Chad Gable. So Chad Gable's climb to try to get back to Gunther in the kind of championship is going to take some time. That's the story that we're getting here with this. Bronson Reed, it seems that his eyes are on the Intercontinental title as well. So we'll have to wait and see what Bronson uh, has up in store with Gunther. If we get a Bronson Reed and Gunther match, I don't think nobody's going to be mad at that. I think everybody's going to want to see that match too. So, again, we'll have our eyes open for that. Uh, next up, Becky Lynch. She would come down to the ring and talk about becoming the new NXT Women's Champion. She would say that she wants to elevate the championship because of what NXT represents. It represents the future. It represents progress. So, Becky would issue an open challenge to anyone in the back. Natalia, she would take that challenge Becky at first would kind of have a problem with it because she wanted to give it to someone that hasn't had an opportunity, unlike Natalia, who's been in WWE for 15 years. Natalia will call Becky a hypocrite because Becky did what Natalia is doing right now last week on NXT when Becky went to NXT to go after the Women's Championship and stepping over the young prospect talents to get after that championship. So with Becky hearing this, she would take Natalia up on this offer. So we will have our NXT Women's Championship match right here between these two ladies. Becky, she would retain the championship by pinfall when she would get Natalia in a roll-up. So Becky is still your NXT Women's Champion. Next matchup, Giovanni Vinci with Ludwig Kaiser in his corner going against Tommaso Ciampa. Ciampa would win this match by pinfall when he would hit uh, Giovanni with a knee to the face after Giovanni was going for a springboard move. And then he would lock him in the Sicilian stretch, which is basically the rings of Saturn, and uh, Giovanni, he would tap out. So Tommaso, he's trying to climb for the Intercontinental Championship as well, and I like what they're doing here. They're putting a lot of stake and a lot of uh, attention on that Intercontinental title because Gunther just broke the Intercontinental Championship reign record, I believe, two weeks ago, and he's now the longest reign Intercontinental Champion. He's still making an Intercontinental title uh, meaningful and worthwhile and with all these challengers coming out the woodwork Chad Gable who's been nipping at Gunther's heels for a minute now uh Ciampa who's trying to get at Gunther now Bronson Reed who also wants a shot it makes the Intercontinental title a lot more prestigious and a lot of importance and I like what they're doing here so again Tommaso going at the Intercontinental title that's going to be a great match with Gunther and Ciampa we already had their match at TakeOver during the pandemic in I want to say 2021 
that was a good match there. Uh, Bronson Reed going against Gunther. I'm not sure they had a match in WWE. I know they did an independence on PWG, and you can look at that. I saw the highlights. It was a straight match from the highlights. And we already know what uh, Gunther and Gable can do. So, again, we are looking for that for that third match. So um, we'll just have to wait and see, again, what they're going to decide to do with all three of these guys going after the Intercontinental Championship. Now, we go to the main event. Main event, Jay Uso going against Drew McIntyre. Um, the Judgment Day, they would come out. And they at first would uh, try to help Jay Uso by distracting the referee, so Jay could uh, super kick Drew when Drew had the advantage. And at one point towards the end of the match, Drew was like in the corner. Damian Priest would get on the apron and talk to Jay because he wants Jay to join the Judgment Day. He says, "Hey, we can do this. We can do that. You need to go after Drew right now." Jay would say, "All right, all right, I hear you," and he would fist bump. Damian Priest. Now, this gave Priest the, uh, well, it gave Priest the idea that Jay was with him, and Jay would then all of a sudden just super kick Damian Priest. So with Priest going down, Balor would get on the apron, and uh, Jay would super kick Balor. Dom would get on the apron. Jay would super kick Dom, and then once Jay turned around, Jay would eat a Claymore kick from Drew McIntyre, and Drew will cover. Uh, Jay for the win, so Drew would win in the main event. Now, after the match, Drew would leave the ring and start walking up the ramp and onto the stage, and the Judgment Day will come in, and they'll just start going to work on Jay Uso and start beating him up. The camera would focus back on Drew, who looks like he wants to help, but he ends up deciding not to. He starts walking towards to the back, but then he stops, and he looks back at the ring as Judgment Day still put him beating on Jay, and Drew would just stand there, and Cody Rhodes... He would run down to the ring. He would make the save. He would throw, uh, no, he'll pull the ropes down and Damien would uh, leave out the top of the ring. And uh, you'll see Cody start beating up on Finn and Finn would roll out of the ring. Uh, Jay would hit Damien, God, not Damien, Dom with a super kick. And then you would see Cody finish Dom with a crossroads. And then you would see uh, Priest pull Dominic out of the ring and that's how Raw ends with Cody helping Jay up to his feet and Judgment Day just are just holding themselves because they got bamboozled by Jay Uso so that's how Raw will go off and it just seems that Cody and Jay are becoming well together and Jay has earned Cody's trust at least that's for what it seems right now and hopefully, this starts the beginning of people start turning a new leaf on Jay Uso. And we'll probably get a confrontation between Cody and Drew McIntyre next week, if anything. We'll just have to wait and see. Now, with that being said, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, we move over to NXT. NXT will open up with the NXT Women's Champion, Becky Lynch, coming out to address the people. Becky will start naming some of the female wrestlers in the back because she wants to, again, raise the championship up to another level. Becky will give some respect to Tiffany Stratton for uh, giving her a match last week and actually proving herself. And she would say that Tiffany will get a rematch of Tiffany's choice when Tiffany wants it. So this will send Tiffany Stratton to come out to the ring. Tiffany would announce that she wants a rematch at No Mercy, so we will get that. Now you would get both Becky and Tiffany continue to jaw jack with each other until Becky gets tired and hits Tiffany. Now you get Tiffany and Becky uh, brawling in the ring for a minute. 
Keanu James would appear and attack Becky from behind. Now it's a two-on-one beatdown. Tiffany would get a chair and look to hit Becky with it, but Becky would kick Tiffany in the stomach. Becky would hit the chair, and this would make both Tiffany and Keanu James retreat to the back. Becky would say that if they want a two-on-one matchup to happen, we can make it happen. So in the main event of NXT, it will be a two-on-one handicap match. Uh, Becky Lynch going against Keanu James and Tiffany Stratton. Now, with that out of the way, let's get to our first matchup of the night. It'll be the Global Heritage Invitational. In Group A, we have Butch going against Tyler Bate. Both men with four points. Butch would win this match by pinfall by hitting a tombstone version of the bitter end to win the match. After uh, Butch failed to win the match with the original bitter end, he had to go to his other style of the bitter end, which this is the first time I've ever seen him use this version of the bitter end, but it looked dope, and I didn't think it was going to end up because they were down to like 15 seconds. I thought this was going to be another draw, but nope. They had Butch go over Tyler Bate, and I'm not mad with it because Butch, he needs something. Tyler Bate, he's a guy that's cool just being himself, but Butch, he's been the guy that's been uh, looked to be the future along with Tyler Bate, but People just seem to put more eggs in the basket of Butch, especially when he was Pete Dunne and he took over the uh, NXT UK Championship after beating Tyler Bate in, I believe it was 2017. So with Butch having this, Butch now goes over to the finals for the Global uh, Heritage Invitational. And we would find out who we will be facing next week before the night was over because the next matchup would be in the Group B of the Global Heritage Invitational Tournament, it'll be Duke Hudson going against Joe Coffey. Now, this was make or break for Joe Coffey because he was uh, in the lead with four points. Uh, Nathan Fraser he had four points. And Duke Hudson, he had two points. And if Duke wins this, they'll get to a triple threat tiebreaker, which it would be because Duke would beat Joe Coffey with a roll-up. So now you have Duke and Nathan and now Joe Coffey all with four points each. And it will be made official that later in the night we'll have a triple threat match where the winner will be facing off against Butch next week in the finals. So we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the next matchup will be Roxanne Perez going against Lola Vice with Electra Lopez in Lola's corner. Roxanne would win the match by pinfall after countering an armbar into a pinning maneuver. This matchup was to get Lola Vice more time on television. Also, I feel that they wanted to give Lola that experience in the ring with someone that has some years under uh, her belt. Roxanne Perez, she's uh, been in NXT for a year now, but she's been on the independence for, I would say, about two, three years. But even on the independence, she was able to garner a name and she was trained by Booker T. So she knows what she's doing in the ring. She's loved by the NXT faithfuls. And for Lola to have this match against uh, someone like Roxanne, it was putting Lola on another level or at least catching the eyes of people who thought this probably would have been a throwaway match because Lola Vice was dominating the majority of this match. You had Roxanne Perez trying to fight for underneath Lola, but in the end, Roxanne would win it. But I just think that this was a match to get Lola the eyes that I feel the WWE management, at least the NXT, wants Lola to have. And it's not a bad look neither because Lola... Vice, she's a nice-looking female. Booker T put her over in commentary by saying that she's a uh, former MMA fighter. I think her record was 4-1 and one in uh, Bellator or Strikeforce, one of the two. 
No, it's not Strikeforce. Strikeforce already went under. Bellator. And uh, he was putting over her striking ability in her MMA, and you got to see that right here with Roxanne. But again, this was a match to prop up a little advice, but Roxanne would get the win still. Uh, next matchup, it'll be champion versus champion, North American champion, Dominic Mysterio, going against the NXT champion, Carmelo Hayes. Ilya Dragunov won't be on commentary for this matchup. And this match will go to a no contest when Ilya would get himself involved thanks to both Dom and Carmelo Hayes get thrown into Ilya at different points towards the end of the match. Uh, at one point, Dom would try to throw Carmelo into Ilya, but Dom would, uh, not Dom, God, Melo would reverse it and throw Dom into Ilya. And then you would see uh, Carmelo try to go after Dom, but Dom just quickly throw Melo into Ilya. Now this would get Ilya upset. Dom would slap Ilya across the face because Dom doesn't want any part of Melo anymore and he wants to get Ilya upset. And it works because once that slap happens, Ilya turns right into the mad breathing dragon and he gets up and starts getting in the ring and he goes after Dominic. Now that will make the referee call for the bell. Now, as he's beating up on Dominic Mysterio, Carmelo was out at this point and once Ilya will look to hit the torpedo headbutt, you would see Melo get in the ring and Ilya would hit Melo, but it doesn't seem that he was targeting Melo. He was looking for uh, Dominic, but Melo just happened to get in the way by happenstance. Now, Dominic, he would roll out of the ring. He would have a smile on his face, holding his NXT North American Championship. And Don would think he got away scot-free, but that wouldn't be the case because Dragon Lee would come out. He would tap Dom on the shoulders. Dominic would turn around and Dominic would eat a super kick from Dragon Lee. Now, this was to prop up their upcoming match on next week's episode on Raw for the North American Championship. And later in the night, we would get a backstage interview from Mustafa Ali, who has a problem with this because he says, how does someone like Dragon Lee get a shot at the North American title when I beat him and I'm supposed to be getting that shot at no mercy? He says he'll take care of this problem next week on Raw. So expect to see Mustafa Ali probably intervene in that match between Dragon Lee and Dominic on Monday Night Raw, and probably at No Mercy we'll get another triple threat with Mustafa Ali, Dragon Lee, and Dominic Mysterio. Now, moving on, we'll get a triple threat match for the Group B of the Global Heritage Invitational. Nathan Fraser, Duke Hudson, Joe Coffey. Joe Coffey would win this match by pinfall when Nathan Fraser would hit Duke Hudson with a Phoenix Splash, and Joe Coffey would grab Nathan, throw him out of the ring, Joe Coffey would then hit Duke Hudson with a rolling clothesline for the win. So, with that, Joe Coffey will now be meeting Butch in the finals of the Global Heritage Invitational next week, where the winner will be facing off against Noam Dar at No Mercy for the Heritage Cup. And what a quick turn of events, because Joe Coffey, in the beginning of NXT, he lost to Duke, and at the end of the whole situation, Joe Coffey ends up winning for Group B. So in the end, he still ends up winning. The first match, yeah, it was a little detour, but the grand scheme of things, he wins. He gets what he wants. And now he's one more step closer to facing off against Noam Dar. I feel next week, Joe Coffey and Butch are going to have one hell of a match. But in the end, you're going to get Butch going against Noam Dar at no mercy because it's an old wrestling trope. You don't get bad guy versus bad guy for the big uh, main prize. You always get a good guy versus bad guy. And Noam Dar, 
he's a villain, and Butch, he's a good guy. Joe Coffey, he's a villain, so you can kind of guess 1 plus 1 equals 2. So Butch will be going against Noam Dar at no mercy. If they happen to change that, I'm not going to be mad at it neither, because Joe Coffey going against Noam Dar, that's something I haven't seen. They probably have had it on the independence over there in the UK, but over here on NXT, I haven't seen it. So I won't be mad if that happens, but I'm just using wrestling logic. Butch probably is going to win against uh, Joe Coffey next week. Now, going off into the main event, the two-on-one handicap match, Tiffany Stratton and Keanu James going against Becky Lynch. At first, this was a two-on-one. The match never got officially sanctioned off to begin with because when Becky comes out, uh, Tiffany and Keanu would attack Becky from behind. You would see Lyra Valkyria come to Becky's aid and fight beside Becky against uh, Tiffany and Keanu. Now, this would get turned into a tag team match with Lyra teaming up with Becky. And in the end, Becky and Lyra would win the match by pinfall when Becky would hit the manhandle slam on Keanu James, and Lyra Valkyria would hit her body splash off the top turnbuckle onto Keanu James for the win. Now, after the match, as Becky and Lyra will have their arms in up in the air for the victory, uh, behind them, Tiffany Stratton will come in with a steel chair and start hitting both women, but she will put most of her focus on Becky Lynch because Becky has the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, Tiffany will grab the NXT Women's Championship and hold it up in the air. Then she will leave the ring. Becky will get a microphone and say, since Tiffany wants to play like that, at no mercy, it will be an Extreme Rules match between the two for the NXT Women's Championship. So now that stipulation has been added. I see no problem with this. Again, this gives Becky and Tiffany more toys to play with. They already had their uh, singles match, a normal match, uh, before last week. So now with this getting added up with more stipulations with an Extreme Rules match. I just feel that it gives them uh, more tools to play with, and I can't wait to see it, to be honest. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Now, next week on NXT, it was announced that Eddie Thorpe will be going against Dijak in a strap match. I feel they should have saved that for normal mercy, but uh, they want to go with that next week. That's fine. I find that's going to be one great match between the two. Uh, Trick Williams, he'll be going against Joe Gacy next week because Joe Gacy tried to recruit Trick Williams to join the schism since now it's only Joe Gacy and Ava Rain in the schism. The Dyad, or better known as the Grizzly Young Vets, they're no longer with uh, NXT, so there you go. And also next week, you will have a contract signing between Ilya Dragunov and Carmelo Hayes. I suspect someone going through a table next week, to be honest. If not, I would be disappointed, to be completely honest. But we'll wait and see what happens. Now with that, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into AEW Dynamite. This is their Grand Slam edition. Grand Slam is their big event that they have every single year at Arthur Ashe. This is when uh, Dynamite pulls out the big stops. And this one will be no exceptions. Because the first match that we would have is the title for title. is the Ring of Honor champion, Claudio Castagnoli, going against the New Japan strong openweight champion, Eddie Kingston. And Eddie would win this match by pinfall after hitting a power bomb after failing to finish off Claudio with a spinning back fist and an Emerald Fusion, or better known as a snowplow, to win the match. And this thing was a tribute to... Uh, Japanese wrestling between Eddie Kingston and Claudio Castagnoli from the attire that Claudio was wearing. Eddie always wears uh, black and yellow, and that's 
a tribute to his wrestling idol Kawada over there in Japan, while Claudio Castagnoli, he was wearing emerald green and silver, and that was paying tribute to uh, Masawa, and that's a guy that was the creator of Pro Wrestling Noah, and who happened to die, I believe, about a decade some odd ago, and Kawada and Misawa, they would have a couple matches over there in Japan. I didn't know much about this. I had to do a couple little digging and seeing what people uh, said on Twitter. But for this match between Eddie and Claudio, you knew what you were expecting. You knew you were going to get some Japanese influence in here. Uh, Claudio and Eddie. Eddie doing the whole chops in the corner. Eddie just uh, seeing Claudio just eat those chops, leading Eddie to just punch Claudio in the face. Claudio, he would throw his best hits at uh, Eddie, even hit him with the Ricola bomb, and that one put Eddie down. And this was a solid match between Eddie and Claudio, especially since it's in New York. Eddie Kingston's background and Eddie winning this, it made everything better for Eddie Kingston. Also, with the history that you know of Claudio and Kingston going back, I believe, since 2006, 2007. I mean, they even archived this on their uh, AEW YouTube page. They literally have a video dedicated to this to get everybody informed of the history between Claudio and Eddie, even though it doesn't cover their Chikara days or even their CZW days. I digress. It gives you enough information to let you know how big this rivalry is between Claudio and Eddie. And for Eddie to beat Claudio and win the Ring of Honor title, a title that means so much to Eddie because his trainer, Homicide, has held it. Guys that he respects like Loki and Xavier to hold that title. Now Eddie is the man holding that title, it means so much to Eddie. And also, he did this in front of his people in New York. It was a great moment for Eddie. Um, after the match, though, Claudio would extend his hand for Eddie to shake it. Eddie would stare at Claudio before shaking his hand. Claudio would then throw the Ring of Honor title into Eddie's chest and then leave the ring. So Claudio has some respect for Eddie, even though it's begrudging respect because he lost his title. That's a title that Claudio didn't want to lose, especially to Eddie, but since he did it, um, hopefully we get Claudio moving over to the AEW portion of the show more. I mean, him and Ring of Honor was great and all, but I want to see Claudio more on Ring of Honor television. That's just me. And I want to see him go after uh, Ring of Honor, not Ring of Honor, God, AEW uh, championships. But again, that's just me. We'll have to wait and see what uh, happens. But again, congratulations to Eddie. Next matchup, we will have... Sammy Guevara going against Chris Jericho. Sammy Guevara will get a special entrance here with Sammy coming out in a mimic of Jericho's uh, bedazzled jackets that will light up in the dark. And also, uh, Motizi, the guy that makes Sammy's theme music, he will wrap Sammy out to the ring. Now, with the specialness out of the way, this match between Sammy and Chris Jericho was a solid match between both of them. I mean, there was nothing really spectacular until like the end came out of it um, where Sammy will hit Chris Jericho with a GTH and then he would go up to the top rope to try to hit a shooting star press and when Sammy goes down for the shooting star Jericho would catch him with a code breaker to win the match and Chris beats Sammy I mean again as I said this was a solid match between the two uh, Sammy would hit Jericho with code breakers during the match, you even try to hit Jericho with uh, a lion salt. But again, other than that, I didn't find nothing too flashy about this. I mean, Sammy, he was able to pull off his cutters, but there was nothing that really, like, wowed until, like, the ending of the match. And literally, the ending of the match, the aftermath. 
because after the match, uh, Chris will look at Sammy. Sammy's on the ground. He's checking his chin. Uh, Chris will help Sammy to his feet, and you will see Sammy and Chris hug each other. So you think that they're good. They're cool now after they just uh, wrestled. However, that was not the case. After the hug, Sammy would kick Chris in the nuts, then shove Chris to the mat. And this was in reference to Chris Jericho doing this to Shawn Michaels in WrestleMania 19, which I did not peep this until, again, somebody pointed this out on Twitter, that Sammy Guevara's color scheme for his tights were the exact same color scheme that Chris Jericho wore when he went against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 19. So I said, okay, so that was another homage to Jericho and his uh, career a significant portion because at that time, if you don't know the story of Jericho and Shawn, Chris, he uh, idolized Shawn Michaels. So when he got to have that match with Shawn at WrestleMania 19, it was a dream. But uh, Jericho is the only person that's like Jericho. He didn't want to be like Shawn no more. So that was a defining moment for Jericho's career to actually just like kick Shawn out of his whole uh, being an idol for him. So that was a symbolism here for Sammy. Sammy is now kicking Jericho out of his life, and Jericho's no longer an idol. And this would be confirmed when Don Callis would walk to the ring and stand beside Sammy Guevara. So Sammy is now part of the Don Callis family. And we would get an explanation from Sammy and Don on Rampage, and I'll talk about that when I talk about Rampage. But when I saw Don Callis come out and he stand beside Sammy, it made sense to me. I kind of called this at least not just last week, but a week before that. And even I even said at all in, I thought Sammy was going to turn on Jericho to join Don. But again, we got this now, but we will hear more from their explanation on uh, Rampage. Now, the next matchup will be for the AEW International Championship. John Moxley defending it against Ray Phoenix. Phoenix will become the new international champion by pinfall by hitting a fire thunder driver for the win. Um... Towards the end of the match, literally when Phoenix hit this Fire Thunder Driver, you saw Phoenix pin Mox 1-2, and I believe Moxley was supposed to kick out because when the referee was about to hit 3, he had to look at John's uh, shoulders, and the shoulder kind of twitched, but everybody was like, no, his shoulder didn't twitch. Uh, Nothing went right the way that it was supposed to because I think John was supposed to kick out of this because... Uh, once you see the ref call audible here, you see Ray Phoenix again pick up Moxley and then hit him with another fire thunder driver and then hit him with the one, two, three. So Phoenix becomes champion and it just had everybody wondering what was that? Why? Why was that the finish? What was going on? And it will be discussed that uh, Moxley, I think he was knocked loopy for a minute from the first Fire Thunder Driver, and somebody on Twitter, yet again, slowed it down and showed it in slow motion, and Moxley's head actually did spike the mat, so I think Mox was kind of like looped up at that time, and that's the reason why he couldn't kick out of that. So that had the ref call an audible, and again, nobody knew what was going on until uh, Excalibur would come back from commercial break and say that Moxley's okay, he was knocked loopy. He was able to leave the ring on his own feet, but medical would be looking after Moxley throughout the whole night. So again, rest up, Moxley. Now, next up, we've got the AEW Women's Championship matchup here. Soraya defending her title against Tony Storm. Soraya will retain her championship by pinfall by hitting the nightcap, formerly known as Rampage, uh, for the win. This was a solid, entertaining women's matchup between Soraya and Tony. I thought this was going to be some... Uh, 
shenanigans, which it was, but it was the fun type of shenanigans. Uh, you have Tony going underneath the ring, pulling shoes out, beating uh, Ruby Soho in the back with some shoes. Coming into the ring, the referee take the shoes away from uh, Tony, and Tony will pull out a shoe from her back, and then like pop straight in the head and try to get the win that way. Didn't work. Uh, Tony Storm would pull off the bottom turnbuckle padding, and Soraya would beat Tony to the punch. He would start beating Tony's head into the top turnbuckle, middle turnbuckle, and then his body get to the exposed turnbuckle padding on the bottom. Uh, Soraya couldn't come to do it, and Ruby would yell at Soraya to do it, but Soraya wouldn't. And there would be a moment where Soraya has Tony at the exposed turnbuckle, and he's about to kick Tony. Tony would catch Soraya's feet. Soraya would tell Tony, don't put it down. I had a chance to do it to you. And Tony would listen. She would put Soraya's foot down. And then you would see Tony just go up and kiss Soraya. And this would catch Soraya by surprise. And this allowed Tony to hit the Stormbreaker. And Soraya still would kick out of the Stormbreaker. This would lead into the uh, nightcap to have Soraya retain her championship. Again, a nice entertaining match between Soraya and Tony. And we're going to see Tony more be going down the pipeline or going down the line of madness and I can't wait to see it and now with Tony Storm out of the way who's next to uh, challenge for the AEW Women's Championship we'll just have to wait and see about that now we move over into the main event the match that everybody wanted to see Samoa Joe challenging for the AEW World Championship against New York's own hometown boy uh, MJF MJF would pay tribute to Bret Hart before the match would even begin they would show a uh tribute video of if you guys know of Bret Hart like giving the glasses to the kid whenever the kid yells out Bret in the hallway MGF would do this but instead of giving the kid his glasses he gave away uh, his scarf and he would like whisper something in the kid's ear and the kid would look at his father as MGF was walking away and say I didn't know I was adopted and again this still plays into the character of MGF being a scumbag but he's AEW scumbag. He's the fan scumbag. So the fans are riding with MJF in this. And it even got Tony Schiavone, who is an MJF hater, to say that was funny. So it's starting to see that we're uh, getting Tony Schiavone to even turn around on MJF, who still is the devil, by the way, but he's just an entertaining uh, personality. Um, the match between MJF and uh, Samoa Joe, it was a beat down. Samoa Joe was going after the neck of MGF because MGF has the kinetic tape on his neck. He's bandaged up and Samoa Joe was putting work on MGF. He would clothesline him. He would clothesline him behind the head. He would just start putting the boots to MGF in the neck. Even at one point, he would hit a Death Valley driver off the apron and MGF's shoulder neck region would hit the apron. Uh, MGF would get pile-driving on the exposed concrete. And even at that point, medical personnel would come down and try to look at MGFs. Mojo would move all of them out the way. Also, I forgot to mention, MGF got put through a table as well. Mojo would put MGF through a Yuranagi, uh through a table outside of the ring earlier in the match as well. But all that would not be able to put MGF down because uh, MGF would still get up. He would still be fighting back with, uh, against Mojo. Hit him with a double kangaroo kick. He would uh, kick out of the muscle buster, which I thought was going to put uh, MGF away, but nope, he would kick out of that. Um, this will lead to 
Samoa Joe then locking in the Coquina Clutch on MJF since pinning him wouldn't do it. He thinks, okay, I'm going to tap MJF out. Now, as MJF is starting to go away and go into sleepland, the referee would raise up MJF's arms once and MJF's arm would drop to the ground. The referee would do it twice and MJF's arm would drop to the ground. That's when Adam Cole would like blitz it directly to the ring, run to the ring, start uh, clapping on the mat so MGF could get up. He would try to clap on the mat. The fans would start getting uh, involved, clapping their hands so MGF could kick out uh, the third one, and that's what MGF does. MGF would get up. He would get out of the coquina clutch, would roll up. Uh, Samoa Joe would kick out of that roll-up pin attempt. MGF would then get on the back of Samoa Joe and start locking in a sleeper hold. And that's what MGF was trying to apply all throughout the match because he was trying to uh, make Samoa Joe go to sleep. Joe would ram MGF into the turnbuckle, the corner turnbuckle. And by doing this, the referee would dive out of the ring. And this would knock the referee out of the ring for a minute. And this would allow Adam Cole to get on the ring apron to distract Samoa Joe. And this allowed MGF to... Pull either, I believe, some shoestring or some type of stringy uh, object, and he would wrap around Samoa Joe's neck to choke Joe out. Then you see MGF once again apply the sleeper hold onto Joe. Joe's already out. He's unconscious at this point, but MGF is still holding on to the sleeper until the referee gets in to call for the bell. The ref would come in. He'll look at Joe. He'll see that Joe is out, and he will call for the bell. So MGF would retain his AEW World Championship by submission or pass out, whatever you want to call it. But MGF is still your world champion. Now, after the match, MGF would get be in the ring. Adam Cole would be in the ring. Adam Cole was about to hand MGF his uh, AEW World title. Samoa Joe, he would come to his conscience, realizing that he just lost. He would walk over to MGF, shove him. Oh, no, he walked over to uh, Adam Cole. He shoved Adam Cole. MGF would go in between the two, and you would see Samoa Joe look at MGF and extend his hand out to MGF. MGF would shake Samoa Joe's hand. You'd think Samoa Joe was going to do something to uh, MGF, but no. Joe would just leave the ring after that. So MGF, I believe, has gotten uh, Samoa Joe's uh, respect. So that's it. That's how Grand Slam will end with Joe leaving and Adam Cole and MGF uh, embracing in the ring. And MGF is still your AEW World Champion. I feel that the Grand Slam was a great show. It was nothing but action from through and through, from top to bottom, from the beginning of the show, for the uh, title for title, to the end of the show, with the AEW World title still being on MGF. And the funny thing is, uh, one, you had both New York guys still being champions. Eddie Kingston being ROH champion and still being the strong openweight champion and MGF still being your AEW world champion. That's a funny thing. And also, MGF has beaten two Ring of Honor legends using the exact same tactic. Earlier in 2022, whenever MGF was feuding with CM Punk last year, he did the exact same tactic by choking out MG, uh, CM Punk with, I believe it was wrist tape at the time. And the referee would catch him, and that's what had. MGF and uh, CM Punk restart their match over there. And that's when later MGF again would still beat uh, Punk in that match. 
And now in this match, you see MGF once again, he chokes out Samoa Joe, who is a Ring of Honor legend, with some stringy material to retain his championship. So I found that great correlation between the situation because MGF, he is a student of wrestling. He watches everything. He knows about a lot of things. And for people to follow MGF's career, and he is a fan of uh, CM Punk, I think that was just a nice little nod also to say I beat two ROH legends with the exact same uh, tactic. I think that was just another feather in the cap of just being a student of the game. Again, that's just me thinking about it, but that's just me being a nerd with that. Anyhow, AEW Dynamite Grand Slam, great show. I suggest you go and watch it. I don't think you would be uh, disappointed in anything. But with that, that's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to Impact, where this is their second week of them celebrating their 1,000th episode of Impact. So this is technically 1,001, but they're still going to count it as 1,000th uh, episode here. Anyway, uh, we'll go over and have our Ultimate X match. It'll be Samurai Del Sol, uh, Rich Swan, Mike Bailey, Ace Austin, Allen Angels, and Zachary Wentz, who is one half of the Impact World Tag Team Champions. All of them will be in this Ultimate X match, where the winner will be facing Chris Saban, for the X Division Championship next week, Allen Angels would win the Ultimate X match. Uh, in the final moments of the match, you will see both Mike Bailey and Allen Angels hanging on the cables, and Bailey would kick Angels in the midsection. Angels would kick Bailey in the nuts, knocking both men to the mat. Angels would quickly get up, start climbing up the cables to untach the X in the middle of the ring and come down with the X to win the match. Um, this was a fun way to open up Impact Wrestling, and this is the first time Ultimate X has been on live television in a minute, at least from my remembrance. Um, everybody did what they were supposed to do. You had uh, moments where Zachary Wins, who used the spray uh, paint uh, can that he's been using in the tag matches here on the Ultimate X. He did it to uh, Ace Austin and Samurai Del Sol. Um, Zachary Wins would even hit a top turnbook cutter off of Rich Swan. Um, Mike Bailey, he was close to winning it, but Allen Angels would win it. But I will say Mike Bailey does come out the biggest winner of this situation because he might not be facing Chris Saban for the Division Championship next week, but at Battle for Glory, he will be getting a big opportunity because he will be facing Will Ospreay at Battle for Glory. And I had this conversation with my uh, father a couple weeks ago, and I said that Mike Bailey is... TNA's guy or Impact Wrestling's guy. Besides Josh Alexander, Mike Bailey is their number two guy because I see them really prepping him to be like their front man for Impact going into 2024 because 2023 has been a great uh, experience for Mike Bailey. You can see they're starting to put a lot more trust. They're putting in a lot more favor for Mike Bailey to be put into a lot of situations. And it just seems that with this being the ultimate situation for him, even though it's not a world title match at Bound for Glory, it's still one of great caliber because everybody has Will Ospreay in their wrestler of the year category from all the matches that he's been having this past year. And for Mike Bailey to have this match with Will Ospreay at Bound for Glory, it's just going to put Mike Bailey once again on a higher pedestal than he already is now in Impact. So Mike Bailey, he would come out the biggest winner of everybody, at least I say in this match. Now off to our second match, we'll have Dirty Dango with Alpha Bravo in his corner going against Jake Something. And 
during this match, you will see the old uh, Fox uh, borders in the match. And what that means is at the top of the display, you would see the name cards of uh, Dirty Dango going against Jake something with the 10-minute time limit at the top. And on the bottom of the border, you will see like the matches that's going to be coming across Impact uh, later in the night. And this was a throwback to how Impact Wrestling used to be like in the early era of TNA, like 2004, 5, 6, before they went over to Spike TV. So I like that they brought that back for this one match only. I hope that they bring that back for weeks to come, to be honest, because I like that personally, because it brought me back to being a, a kid when I first uh, saw TNA. But um, Jake something, he would win this match by pinfall, thanks to Alpha Bravo accidentally hitting Dango in the head with a flashlight when uh, Dango was holding Jake something. Bravo would get on the apron. He's trying to hit Jake something, but Jake would uh, duck, and that would allow Bravo to hit Dango, and this allowed Jake something to hit into the void, or a.k.a. the black hole slam for the win, so Jake something wins the match. Uh, next matchup, Eric Young with Scott DeMorne's corner going against Kenny King, who will have Sheldon Jean in his corner. This would immediately get thrown out because Sheldon Jean will come in and start attacking Eric Young from behind. Scott DeMore will get in and help out Eric Young. This will lead to Shark Boy coming out. Shark Boy would say that this match is ending like this, so he would turn this into a tag matchup of Scott DeMore and Eric Young, Team Canada, going against Kenny King and Sheldon Jean. So the match happens, and immediately as the match happens, the design will come out. Diener and Khan, they will come out and attack Eric Young. Again, Shark Boy would come out, and he says this match is ending like this, and he turns this into an eight-man tag. Now, we have Kenny King, Sheldon Gene, and the design on one corner. In another half, we have Team Canada, which is represented by Eric Young and Scott Demore, and their tag partners, America's Most Wanted, which is Chris Harris and James Storm. Now, I was glad to see America's Most Wanted back here because, again, this brings back, again, childhood memories for me because they were the tag team in it, Impact. I can remember explicitly that they were feuding with Triple X, which was Elix Skipper and Christopher Daniels when we first got into Impact. And for that to be the situation for me to remember and see them now here, it was just great because I remember AMW going against Team Canada for times. I remember AMW going against the Naturals. It was just great to see AMW and Team Canada here, and it was Great to see them actually coexisting. Um, Team Canada and AMW, they would win the match by pinfall with Scott Demore hitting Sheldon Jean with the sky high, then passing Sheldon over to Eric Young to hit him with a power driver to win the match. So AMW, Team Canada would win this match. Now, after this match was done, we would go backstage to find out what was inside the briefcases from Feaster Fired. We will start with Crazy Steve's briefcase. Crazy Steve would have the Digital Media Championship in his briefcase. They would move over to Moose. Moose will have the World Heavyweight Championship opportunity in his briefcase. Then, now it comes down to Chris Bay and Yuya Uramura. One of them will have the World Tag Team title opportunity. The other one will have a pink slit, meaning you're fired. Uh, Chris Bay will open up his briefcase, and inside would be the World Tag Team opportunity, while Yuya Uramura, unfortunately, has the pink slip of he's now gone. However, next week on Impact, we will be seeing uh, Yuya Yoromura's going away ceremony from Impact because I feel that it's now time for him to go back to New Japan because he was part of their excursion program that New Japan does. 
which means they take their young line, they graduate from their dojo, and then they got to uh, go across the world so they can explore and learn more tricks of the trade before they go back to New Japan and start really building up their career over there. I feel that Yuri Romero is now time for him to go back to New Japan. That's the reason why he got the pink slipped. So, again, we're going to get a farewell ceremony from Yuya Yurimura next week before he goes back to uh, New Japan. Now, we'll go over to the next matchup. Trey Miguel with Zachary Winston in his corner going against Josh Alexander. Josh Alexander would win this match by pinfall, hitting the C4 spike for the win. Now, towards the end of the match, Zachary Winston, he would interfere by kneeing Josh Alexander in the face and throwing Josh back into the ring. Alex Shelley, he would come out, and he would hit Zachary Wentz in the face with his world championship. And now, after the match is over, Josh Alexander will get a mic and start chastising Alex Shelley for leaving him last week against the Rascals. And Alex Shelley isn't phased by this. He doesn't care too much what Josh has to say. Josh will let Alex Shelley know that he's going to take back his Impact World Championship at Bound for Glory. So we will get that match made official. So Alex Shelley will be defending the Impact World Championship against Josh Alexander at Bound for Glory. And that should seem like a real good matchup, to be completely honest. And now we move over to the main event. Ten knockout tag matchup. On one side, we have Awesome Kong, Gail Kim, Mickey James, Jordan Grace, and the Knockouts champion Trinity going against Angelina Love, Giselle Shaw, Deanna Perrazzo, Tasha Steeles, and Savannah Evans. And the winning side will be Awesome Kong, Gail Kim, Mickey James, Jordan Grace, and Trinity. Thanks to Awesome Kong hitting a face buster on Giselle Shaw for the win. It was a fun time to see all these uh, knockouts here. Um, Angelina Love is great to see her back. Gail Kim, it was great to see her back here. Uh, Mickey James, as if you watched last week, she made her debut well, re-debut back from uh, injury at the beginning of this year, back here now. So I expect Mickey to probably be back on the roster for Impact now. Jordan Grace, great to see her back here as well. Got a fun interaction between Trinity and Angelina Love to start the show. Not to start the show, but to start the match. Um, and they'll go into Jordan Grace and Deanna Perrazzo teasing that they're about to face off in here. But... Deanna will tag in Giselle Shaw because Deanna doesn't want to go against Jordan yet, but we will get Jordan and Giselle doing their whole thing. And at the end, for Awesome Kong to get the final move and for her to get the win for her team, that was great because you saw the fear in Giselle's face when Giselle realized that she was in the ring with Awesome Kong, and that was just bringing back the memories of how Awesome Kong was in her prime whenever she was in impact whenever the knockouts division first started because Austin Kong was that monster. She was the beast that the knockouts uh, would fear. Like she was their final boss. And for people to get that look, for people to see that from Giselle Shaw, it just brought back, as I said, memories for me because I was a kid whenever the knockout division first started. So to see that, it just brought a smile back to my face and it was great to see all these women uh, in the main event of Impact's 1000th episode part two. So it was great. Now, that was your Impact Wrestling uh, wrestling highlights of the week. Now it's time to go to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with John Cena. John Cena is out here because he wants to have a fight. More specifically, he wants to have a match against the Bloodline. Jimmy Uso and Solo for what they did last week 
uh, ambushing him and beating him up until AJ Styles made the save. Now, John Cena would say he could do it two-on-one, but he has the right partner, a phenomenal partner. This would insert AJ Styles. AJ would come to the ring and say that if they want some, they could come get some. So you have Jimmy Uso and Solo both come down to the ring. They look like they're going to do something. They get on the apron, only for them to drop off and walk to the back. Now, throughout the night, we would get various backstage segments. You had John and AJ trying to talk to Adam Pierce, saying that they want uh, Jimmy and Solo in a match tonight. Pierce says that he has to talk to Paul Heyman because once you deal with bloodline stuff, it's more complicated than the normal. So Pierce will go try to find Paul. And once he does find Paul in the Bloodlines locker room, you will see Solo still militant. Paul Heyman looking worried because Jimmy Uso is in there and he's acting more he's acting more uh big and boastful. He's acting like he's the guy really like handling charge and taking charge here since Roman Reigns isn't here. So when Adam Pierce comes in, he says that he has a contract uh ready for Solo and Jimmy decide for a match against AJ and John. Paul would say that they can have the match, but just not tonight. Pierce would say, all right, it's going to happen at Fastlane. So Paul again would try to pull a fast one and say, well, he has to talk to the tribal chief. Jimmy would say, no, we're going to do it. We're going to go out there in the middle of the ring and we'll sign the contract. And again, Jimmy is just being more boisterous and being more full of himself. Paul would talk to Jimmy say those type of uh, decisions have to be made by the tribal chief. So Jimmy would tell Paul, well, go ahead and make the call, and uh, I'll see you guys out there later. So we'll have to wait until the last segment to see what's going to happen with the contract signing. But moving over to the first match of the night, we will have a tag team match of the LWO's Santos Escobar and Rey Mysterio with Selena Vega in their corner going against the Street Profits, who have Bobby Lashley in their corner. Ray and Santos would win this match by pinfall, even with Bobby Lashley interfering when Bobby would one-hand spinebuster Ray on the apron, then roll Ray into the ring. Dawkins would look at Ray's body. Bobby would be shouting at Dawkins to finish it. So Dawkins would go for a powerbomb on Ray Mysterio, but Ray would reverse it and get him in a roll-up pin for the win. This would leave Bobby incensed. You would see him outside just looking like pissed at Dawkins. Ford would come in. He'll stand right beside his partner Dawkins. And backstage, you would see Dawkins and Ford walk over to Bobby. Bobby's just shouting at them. He shouted more specifically at Angelo because he didn't pull the trigger. And he says that he needs the suits. He needs the chains. He needs all that stuff back. Because if they're afraid to pull the trigger, they can't be with Bobby. Bobby is going to have to find some new people. So we already see some friction in this new little unit that we have here between Bobby and the Street Profits. Do I think they're going to pull that trigger and kill this faction already? No. I think this is just tough love. And we're going to see more aggressive side of the Street Profits because they're not trying to be content anymore. They want to be out there and winning everything. So... I expect a more aggressive side of the Street Profits, especially now since uh, Bobby got upset with Angelo not pulling the trigger. Now, next up, we have the WWE Women's Championship matchup between Asuka and the champion Io Sky with Dakota Kai and Bailey in Io's corner. 
Charlotte Flair would be at ringside as well. Io would win the match by pinfall thanks to Bailey interfering when Asuka had Io in the Asuka lock and Io was trying her hardest to get out. Bailey would put Io's foot on the bottom rope and tell the referee to look. This made Asuka let go of the hold. Charlotte would get up and go after Bailey, uh, big booting her in the face and knocking Bailey to the ground. Asuka would see this, and this allowed Io to hit Asuka in the bag with her double knees and then finish Asuka off with a moonsault to win the match. This was a solid match between Asuka and Io. They gave them ample amount of time to have a great match on SmackDown, and the women really showed what they can do. Now, people were saying that Asuka and Io were holding themselves. They didn't really showcase everything. And if we can get a match between Asuka and Io and they get to showcase everything, I'll be happy for it. I was happy with this match that we got here. But if you mean to tell me that there's more still left in the tank between the two, I'm glad to uh, see that match when we do get it. And hopefully we do. But anyway, Io is still your WWE Women's Champion. Now we go off to the main event tag team segment. Uh, Grayson Waller and Austin Theory going against the Brawling Brutes, Butch and Ridge Holland. Grayson Waller and Austin Theory will win the match by pinfall when Ridge would have Austin Theory in the Boston Crab. Butch will have the sleeper hold on Grayson Waller outside of the ring. And you will see Grayson uh, bounce Butch back and head onto the ring post to free himself. This allowed Grayson to roll into the ring and hit his rolling stunner on Ridge. And this allowed Theory to hit the A-Town down for their team to win. So now this seemingly new tag team of Grayson Waller and Austin Theory are 2-0. And I like that Grayson Waller and Austin Theory are together. They seemed natural just being with one another, two egotistical type of guys being right beside each other. And I'm not sure how long this is going to last, but... I'm glad that we're seeing uh, Waller and Theory together. I like the combo, to be completely honest. Now, we will go to the main event segment. Contract signing between John Cena, AJ Styles, Jimmy Uso, and Solo. At least that's what you're supposed to get. Uh, John Cena and Adam Pearce will be in the ring. John Cena would sign the contract. He's waiting for AJ to come out. And there's no AJ. Instead, we will see on the screen Jimmy Uso and... Solo Sokoa beating up AJ backstage. Jimmy would throw AJ over some crates. And Solo would jump off crates that stacked on each other onto a downed AJ Styles. We don't see the impact. We just hear the sound of it. Then we would go back to inside of the ring. John Cena, he would leave the ring, run to the back. And he's trying to save AJ, but the damage is already done. Jimmy and Solo are gone at this point. And now we have John Cena back there with AJ. He's trying to get an ambulance. Ambulance will come. They get AJ on the stretcher. And they put AJ in the back of the ambulance. Carl Anderson, I love Carl Anderson for this because he is just like Kevin Owens. Whenever he says something, he's going to stick to it. And he's been saying it for the past, I'll say, week or two to AJ every single time that you don't need to begin yourself a line in this bloodline business. So you have Carl Anderson saying this to AJ. Mia Yim, she's telling Carl Anderson right now is not the time, but Carl isn't trying to hear this. He's being a realistic dude, saying, I told you so, right, to AJ's face, even on a stretcher. I told you so. And he would tell John that I told AJ not to do it. I told him to leave that bloodline crap alone. So once they get AJ in the ambulance and they're going away, Paul Hammond, Solzakoa, and Jimmy Uso will come down to the ring 
again, Jimmy's being so pompous and boisterous. This will lead to John Cena coming out. He's trying to get retribution. At first, he's able to handle both Jimmy and Solo, but the numbers game would be too much as John Cena will go for an attitude adjustment on Solo. Jimmy will hit him with a super kick. This will allow Solo to hit John with a Samoa spike. Jimmy will then go to the top turnbuckle and hit him with an Uso splash. And then you will see Jimmy Uso and Solo sign the contract. So now we have a contract signed for Flashlane. Is John Cena going against Jimmy and Solo? You know there's going to be a curveball thrown into it. We're going to get probably John Cena's tag partner revealed next week on SmackDown. But as of right now, SmackDown was left with Jimmy and Solo standing on top of a beaten John Cena. And Jimmy and Solo would throw the ones up. So it seems that Solo and Jimmy are on good grounds with each other. Paul Heyman, he would be on the outside of the ring. He would look at this. And now Paul is more than likely going to be in some deep crap with Roman because Roman still has not really came back and he hasn't said anything about Jimmy Uso trying to be back with the bloodline, trying to be down with the bloodline again. So it's going to be interesting what Roman Reigns has to say about this. And I want to see Paul Heyman really get tough love onto Roman because every time he tries to call Roman, it just seems that it just never ever like answers. We always see the whole call Roman. We don't ever see Paul talking to Roman on the phone. We don't ever hear Roman's like voice on the phone. Hopefully that changes because that would be great to hear that. But as of right now, it's always Paul calling Roman. I want to hear Paul literally like tear into Roman for not being here and, and all the chaos is going around for bloodline business because with Roman not being here, Jimmy's pompous, Solo starting to lose himself. Well, not lose himself. He's starting to become more and more uh just spontaneous and do whatever he feels like he's doing because Roman isn't there. It's just a nice crinkle that we have in the story, and I would like to see Roman be in, like, in it more. But again, Roman, he's a special attraction. He'll come out when he does come out. But again, I like what they're doing with the bloodline stuff. Jimmy's in. He's out. Solo's with him. He's not. Yo, dog, I like what they're doing. Hopefully, we continue that into the flat fast lane and even after fast lane, but we'll just have to wait and see. But with that, that was your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, we will go over to AEW Rampage. This is their uh, Grand Slam edition, so this is two-hour special. We will start off with a tag team match. Sting and Darby Allin with Nick Wayne in their corner, going against Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. Darby Allin and Sting would win the match by pinfall. When Christian will look to hit Darby with a kill switch, Nick Wayne will get on the ring apron, and Christian will look at Nick Wayne. This would allow Darby to roll up Christian for the win. So now Darby has momentum going into collision in his triple threat match against Christian Cage and Luchasaurus for the TNT Championship. Next matchup, trios matchup, but a mixed trios matchup. 2.0 and Anna Jay going against Hook, Orange Cassidy, and the TBS champion, Chris Statlander. Orange Cassidy, Hook, and Chris would win the match by pinfall when Orange Cassidy would hit Cool Hand Ange with an orange punch to win the match. So this was a match I feel that just filled the card out. So it wasn't bad. You still got the Jericho Appreciation Society members no longer with Jericho still together with 2.0 Anna J and Jake Hager. I like seeing that, but also seeing Hook on TV. I like seeing Hook, Orange Cassidy. He still gets to do something. Chris Statlander, it's always great to see Chris. So 
I like seeing this mixed tag match here. Now, next up, we will have Sammy Guevara, Don Callis, and Kanosuke Takesha come down to the ring. This is Sammy's time to explain why he turned on Chris Jericho on Dynamite. And the reason is quite simple. For the past four years, Sammy Guevara has been with Jericho. Jericho has held Sammy down, which everybody kind of could see this coming. And that's the reason why he turned on Jericho. And he lined himself with Don Callis because Don is the man that's going to prop Sammy up and not hold Sammy down. So now, make it simple, Sammy Guevara is part of the Don Callis family. So now Don has Sammy and Kanosuke Takeshita underneath his wing and as an affiliate, Will Ospreay. So with this, uh, Chris Jericho, he would come down to the ring. He would try to get at Sammy, but you have Kanosuke Takeshita, Sammy beat up on Chris Jericho. He would get a chair involved in this. Sammy would hit Chris Jericho in the back with a chair. Don Callis would tell Sammy Kanosuke to hold Chris Jericho, and Don will pull out the screwdriver. So, as he's about to hit Chris in the head with the screwdriver, the same way that he did Kenny Omega, Kenny Omega would run down to the ring, holding a pipe in his hand. So, this would make Sammy, Kanosuke, and Don leave the ring. Now, you would see Kenny staring at Takeshita and Sammy. Chris Jericho, he would walk back to back to Kenny, and once they touch their backs to each other, you would see Kenny and Jericho stare at one another. Now, if you know the history between Jericho and Omega, they've been having a rivalry with each other this dawn before AEW. This happened in New Japan, and it came over to AEW in their first pay-per-view and all that good stuff. So now it seems that Jericho and Omega literally might be on the same side fighting against Don Callis. And this would be kind of the thing because uh, we would get backstage. Kenny Omega's having this interview. Chris Jericho would walk up to him and name he mentions what I've said, the rivalry between the two. But since they have the same exact level of disrespect and dis like disgust with Don Callis, Jericho says, why don't we put our differences aside, me and you team up together to take out Don Callis' family. So, it seems that at WrestleDream is going to be Chris Jericho, Omega, and Ibushi going against the Don Callis family. Sammy Guevara, Takeshita, and another partner. Because Jericho would say, who you got? And I'm going to say it again. It's going to be Will Ospreay, at least in my personal opinion. I don't know who else might take up the mantle for that, but we'll have to wait and see. But at WrestleDream, it seems it's going to be a trios matchup. Now, after this, we get to a Fatal 4-Way uh, tag matchup with the teams consisting of the Hardys, the Best Friends, the Kingdom, and the Righteous, where the winners will be going against Better Than You, Baby, for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships at Wrestle Dream. And the tag team that will be facing Better Than You, Baby, at Wrestle Dream are the Righteous. The Righteous would win this match by pinfall when Jeff Hardy would hit Chuck Taylor with a swanton bomb. Jeff Hardy does not know he is no longer the legal participant because when Jeff was on the top turnbuckle, Vincent would get on the apron and tap Jeff's foot. Jeff wouldn't notice this. So when Jeff hits the swanton uh, Dutch, he would pull Jeff Hardy out of the ring. And then you see Vincent get on the top turnbuckle, hit his version of the swanton onto Chuck Taylor to win the match. So now the Righteous will be facing Better Than You Bebe at Russell Dream for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. 
Now we move over to the trio championships. We have the Acclaimed and Billy Gunn defending the titles against the Dark Order. The Acclaimed and Billy Gunn would retain their trio championships by pinfall when the Acclaimed will hit KRS-One. If you have no idea what that finishing move is, I do not know how to properly explain it. I will just say go to YouTube, type in Kings of Wrestling, K-R-S, and type in the actual number one, and you'll see the tag team finisher. Um, the claim used this finisher last on Swerve Strickland last year at full gear. So this is their first time using that tag finish since then. So I was glad to see them bring this move back since they were not able to put Alex Reynolds down with, um, the arrival and the mic drop. So they had to pull out this finish and I was glad to see it because the Dark Order, they were, they were on one. They really did what they could do to the Acclaim and Billy Gunn. They got a lot of offense and some defense on the Acclaimed here. And also, since this is John Silver and Alex Reynolds' backyard of New York, they had to really, like, showcase and show off. So I was glad to see John Silver and Alex Reynolds have that moment in the sun here. But the Dark Order, they didn't uh, bring home Trios gold. So we'll have to wait and see whenever they will bring home gold because I feel that it's time for Dark Order to bring home some type of gold one way or another. I hope that they do, but we'll just have to wait and see. But the Acclaim and Billy Gunn are still your trios champions. Now we move over to Sky Blue going against Julia Hart, who will have Brody King in her corner. Julia Hart would win the match by submission by locking in Heartless, which is a seated up slash kneeled down version of the Rings of Saturn on Sky Blue to win the match. After the match, Julia will lock in Heartless again and hold on to it until Willow Nightingale would run down to the ring. Once Willow gets in the ring, Julia would leave the ring and hide behind Brody King, so it seems that we're building up a program between Julia Hart and Willow Nightingale. On commentary after the match, they did mention that Julia Hart is 25-0 this year in AEW, so it seems that we're going to try to give probably Julia a big win over Willow Nightingale, to be honest with you. That's what I'm thinking, because I wouldn't... I wouldn't announce her undefeated streak this year if we weren't going to try to push her in a bigger direction. So I think that's where they're headed. But again, we'll just have to wait and see for that. Um, next matchup, this would be Mike Santana's uh, AEW singles debut as he goes against the Iron Savages. Uh, Bronson Santana, he would win the match by pinfall, hitting a double underhook face buster for the win. After the match, Ortiz... He would come out, stand on the ramp, and point at Santana to stand in front of him. So Santana never backing away. Santana would leave the ring and stand in front of Ortiz. Ortiz would ask Santana, do you want to talk now? So we had the former tag partners who are now not on the best footing with each other. And Ortiz is out here to try to smooth it out. At least that's what it seems. Santana, he would just walk past Ortiz, as soon as Ortiz would say this and go to the back, Ortiz would say, okay, okay. So it seems that the beef between Santana and Ortiz is not going to be uh, getting rid of, not just yet. It seems we got at least some story to tell, and I'm happy for this because Santana and Ortiz, they were a team that I believe that the AEW faithfuls have been watching since like the first day that AEW started on actual television. People would want to say that they wish that uh, Proud and Powerful would have became tag team champions, but that didn't happen. 
So with that team now disintegrating, hopefully we at least get these two guys going against each other and actually having a meaningful actual like rivalry. But again, time will tell if that actually will come to pass. Now it's time for the main event. Ring of Honor Trios Championships it is the Mogul Embassy Skates of Agony and Brian Cage defending their Ring of Honor Trios Championships against Hangman Page and the Young Bucks. And we will have new Ring of Honor Trios Champions. The Young Bucks and Hangman Page would win the match by pinfall when Brian Cage would go for the Drill Claw, but Hangman would get out of it, roll up Brian Cage to win the match. This was a solid way to end Rampage. Um, you had Swerve come out here. He's wearing a white, big, puffy-style jacket, New York-style. You had Prince Nana doing the whole Swerve dance. The fans were into it. I mean, you even went on social media this week after Dynamite was over. When they taped Rampage, you saw Nana dancing. The crowd was into it, so you got to see a different uh, version of that. Um, the Gates of Agony, they had a great outing here. Brian Cage had a great outing, but the story is Hangman Page and Swerve. And for Hangman Page to be the one to beat Brian Cage to get him and the Young Bucks to now become Ring of Honor Trios champion, it just adds on to the fact that Hangman Page is getting himself back on course. He's not just waiting in the wings, uh, resting on his laurels. No, he's actually regaining that hunger. This is something that Swerve has wanted from Hangman. So we're getting that, and next week on Dynamite, we're getting Swerve and Hangman Page have a contract signing, and hopefully we get some type of something out of that because I need someone to get put through a table. I need Swerve to get physical with Hangman. We haven't seen that yet. We only see Swerve just like be the boss, just stand in the back, not get his hands dirty with Hangman yet. If we don't get it on the contract signing, I'm hoping that Hangman and Swerve are filthy with one another at uh, Russell Dream, but we'll have to wait and see if that does happen. But with that being said, the Young Bucks, Heyman Page, your new Ring of Honor Trios champions, that ends AEW Rampage. And with that, that's your Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I leave you all, I would like to talk about the WWE releases that happened this Thursday that continued into Friday. I'm just going to read you off the names from the people that were released. We have Abdul Fitzgerald. We have Brooklyn Burlow. We have Alexis Gray. We have Daniel McArthur. We have Kevin Cortez. We have Bryson Montana. We have Quincy Elliott, Alyssa Leon, Ikimanjaro, Shanky, Dabakato, Dana Brooke, Mansoor, Mace, Rick Boogs. Top Dollar, Aaliyah, Riddick Moss, or shall I say Riddick Moss, excuse me, Emma, Mustafa Ali, Elias, Shelton Benjamin, Dolph Ziggler, and Matt Riddle. Now, Matt Riddle is the latest of the people that did get released. He got released on Friday, but everybody else, they got released on Thursday. Everybody was shocked to see Dolph Ziggler's name on this list because he's been with WWE for 19 years, he has a slew of accolades within WWE. His biggest one that everybody was posting up on social media was his cash-in the night after Mania with him winning the World Heavyweight Championship and the crowd going absolute bonkers. 
I remember watching that on television literally the night after Mania, and I was happy for Dolph. I've always been a Dolph guy, so I was happy for Dolph at that moment and for Dolph to get released. I'm not going to lie and say, oh, my God, like the Bray Wyatt's or the Braun Strowman's or any of that. You know what? Braun and Bray didn't have a big lasting career like a Dolph Ziggler. So when they got released, I was like, what is WWE doing? Now, when Dolph got released, I was like, okay, it makes sense. He's been there long. Dolph has done what he wanted to do. He was never ever the main guy. WWE was never going to make him the main guy. They always just use him as a good hand whenever you need for Dolph to put someone over or Dolph to be put somewhere. You just throw Dolph in. Dolph always made it work. I think that was a dumb thing for WWE to do to release Dolph, but I'm not mad at it the way I was when they released uh, Bray Wyatt, a Karrion Cross, a Braun Strowman, um, those list of guys in 2020. I'm not mad at that with this. Dolph, it was about time. It was time, and I feel that if Dolph wants to leave, well, if Dolph wants to continue doing wrestling out of WWE and going off into the independence or going to another company, he can do so because Dolph has had uh, the credibility of all his peers. You had The Rock say something. You had John Cena say something about Dolph. You had a lot of peers coming out and saying something positive about Dolph. So Dolph, it's not going to be hard for him to find another job in WWE or wrestling, if you will, in general. So I'm not too worried about Dolph in this situation. Same thing with Shelton Benjamin. He's well-respected in the wrestling industry and the business model and everything. So he's going to be able to find a job. I'm not worried about Shelton. Mustafa Ali, he's another one. Everybody can't wait to see who Mustafa is going to do. And it's so crazy because he was supposed to go against Dominic Mysterio next week at No Mercy for the North American Championship. And plus, I mentioned earlier that he was supposed to be on Monday Night Raw this upcoming week when Dragon Lee goes against Dominic Mysterio for the North American Championship. So it's going to be interesting to see how NXT kind of writes the ship on that one. Um, but Mustafa Ali, that's another one I'm not worried about. He can either go to Impact, he can go to New Japan, he can make a splash in AEW. But I think for Mustafa, I think he might just want to go to Impact or New Japan and test his waters over there and at least observe the landscape of an AEW and see what they're doing just from afar before he actually puts his feet in. That's at least my option for uh, Mustafa Ali, to be completely honest with you. Dana Brooke, I feel sad for her because she went to NXT to better herself. She went down there to actually get a credible storyline, and she was just getting there with Kalani Jordan. She was about to have that feud with Kalani, turn on Kalani, become aggressive, but that kind of got killed. Mason Mansoor, I feel those two guys are going to be fine. They're going to be straight. Uh, They've been putting out videos of what they were filming while they were not being used. They had a, uh, I want to say it's Reservoir Dogs or it was a Pulp Fiction of them pulling a guy out of a trunk and it was a referee. It's like their version of basically being problem solvers for a certain superstar and their boss's name would have been Dolph Ziggler. So they probably would have worked a program with Dolph as their guy, as their boss. But again, Mason Mansoor, I feel that they're going to do fine whenever they want to go into the wrestling space again in the independence. Top Dollar, he was great. He's a great guy. He's a person that can do everything. He was an NFL player, so he has ties in sports. So if he wants to do a sports podcasting, I'm pretty sure he can be big in that. He also has uh, wrestling friends, and he also was in the wrestling 
world as top dollar. So I can see him doing a wrestling podcast, mixing in and just become one of the bigger names for that, especially with his ties that he got and top dollar. I wouldn't be surprised to see him either in impact or even being a person for Swerve. If that's what he wants to do and him and Swerve want to do that with the mogul embassy because top dollar and the mogul embassy, I wouldn't see them. No problem with that, to be honest. But again, it's all what they want to do with that. But top dollar, I see him not having a problem Emma, she's fine. I see her going to Impact or AEW. She has friends in AEW, especially Asraya, who is the women's champion. So I can see her doing that there. Or even Impact, she gets ties to Impact over there. So she wants to do that. There you go. And bringing Riddick Moss with her. And I don't mean to say that as a bad thing. Riddick Moss being with Emma, that could be a new uh, duo, just like Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green were on Independence. You can have Emma and Riddick Moss be that for the Independence or wherever promotion they want to go. So again, the sky's the limit for a lot of these people. Uh, for the rest of them, I still say they have a lot that they can offer to wrestling business or even to anywhere else. Don't look at this as one door shutting. Just look at this as another door opening to multiple opportunities. I think the biggest one that everybody was shock shocked about was Matt Riddle because Matt Riddle was a main roster guy. They were doing things with him. He was just on Monday Night Raw, I believe, what, last week? But again, hey man, things happen. Riddle's out of WWE. People are saying that his backstage stuff, his personal issues, dude, I'm not going to cover any of that. I have no idea. If I can speak to the man, I would like to speak to him just to get his perspective of what has been publicized and everything. But Riddle, I can see him doing something in the wrestling sphere yet again. And I can even see him being rehired by WWE somewhere down the line. But uh, we'll have to wait and see with that. But as I said before, I wish the best for all these wrestlers that got released by the WWE this past week. Like I said, this is not one door shutting. This is multiple doors openings, multiple opportunities opening up for them. So uh, rest up, get well, continue to study your craft and be the best that you can be and uh, prepare to show the world what you really can do. Now, with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I him. I want to say thank you to everyone that has listened to this long-formed episode. I really do appreciate that. Um, always remember, I do have a Sunday episode coming up tomorrow, and if you now listen to my Wednesday episodes and maybe breakdown where I talk about any and everything for about 15 to 20 minutes. Use up now. This episode I talked about things that happened with the updates from uh, the actors, not the actor strike, but the writer strike. Uh, w, not W, U A W United Auto Workers that strike. Uh, Smash and Grabs California starting to put crackdown on that. And also, I wish my mother a happy birthday this past Wednesday with my siblings as well. If you want to listen to that, there you go for that. And tomorrow's Sunday episode, I will be talking about things that's going on currently in the news, whether it be in America or around the world. That's what I do on my Sunday episodes. So please check that out there. Now, with that, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Presented by my two sisters podcast, was my G2. is I and I am him. I love you all. I'll speak to you guys later. I'm out. Come on, come on.